Tuesday, and thanks for listening to Detroit Today. That's 101.9 FM and WDET.org online. I'm Sandra Svoboda, and you are joining us during an hour devoted to politics and Detroit elections. So if you were listening last Wednesday, that was the day after the city primary, uh, we talked a lot about the results of what happened in the city elections the day before and what they mean. And we heard from you, some callers, uh, that you really do want to hear more about the city's elections and its issues. So we heard you. And today we are going to talk about Detroit city elections for most of the hour. If you live or work in the city, this affects you. We are also going to talk with Erin Los Cotrero. She's the founder and executive director of the group She Should run. But we are going to start with city clerk candidate Garland Gilchrist II. You can join this conversation, talk directly to him, ask him questions about his campaign and his vision for the city of Detroit, what he would do in the clerk's office. Give us a call, 313-577-1019. Before we start in with candidate Gilchrist, I want to mention WDET has invited the current clerk, Janice Winfrey, to appear on this program, and we hope she does before the Detroit election. So let's start Garland Gilchrist II, welcome to WDET. Thank you so much for having me, Sandra. Sure. So let's like kind of jump right in. The city clerk is, I think it's fair to say, maybe one of the lesser known races and offices in the city. So what is the job of the city clerk? What well, are you applying for here? Well, it may not be well known, but it certainly is very important. The city clerk broadly has three responsibilities. The first and the one that we talk about the most is managing the voting and elections process. So everything from making sure people in Detroit are registered to vote, making sure that people can cast ballots on or before Election Day and that the elections are counted accurately. The second responsibility is as the public record keeper to make sure people in Detroit are informed about what the government is doing, both from an informational perspective and a policy perspective in terms of ordinances, municipal code, et cetera. The third thing the city clerk is responsible for is being the clerk to the city council. So it's not the city council's job to tell you what the city council does. It's actually the city clerk's job. So making sure that you know when council meetings and hearings are happening, what's on the agenda, what were the minutes of and the happenings and outcomes of the previous meetings, and also making sure the videos and transcripts are available for people. And why are you qualified for this job? Well, I believe that the city, Detroit city clerk needs to be both a fixer and a fighter. A lot of the systems in the city clerk's office, whether that's the elections process, the information process, are fundamentally flawed and broken and need to be redesigned. I'm an engineer by training, and that's my grandmother's fault for buying me a computer when I was five years old. And so <laughs> I'm Most a kids problem- get toys. <laughs> exactly. She gave me stuff to fix. And so I'm a problem solver and a fixer, and I've been fixing systems in city government for my career since I came back home. And I want to bring that problem solving to the city clerk's office. And most importantly, I've been a fighter for voting rights all across the country. You know, I protected voting rights in states like Florida and the Carolinas, where they suppress votes before people wake up and eat breakfast in the morning. And I've been able to beat back those kind of efforts. So making sure that someone can advocate for our rights as voters and also also fix the broken systems that stand between us and our political power in Detroit is why I'm the best prepared to be city clerk. Okay, so let's dig into a little bit more of your background. Tell us where you went to school and some of the previous jobs you have. And and specifically, if I, if I can ask you to do all of this for the <laughs> listeners, how those different positions qualify you for city clerk, what, what perspective it gives you for the office. Absolutely. So I'm a Detroit kid. You know, my parents were very active in our neighborhood on the east side in Huntington Place. They, were, they ran our neighborhood association. And so they had me at a very young age being active in my community, listening to my neighbors and understanding what our priorities were. You know, I went to engineering school at the University of Michigan. I got two degrees, one in computer engineering and one in computer science. 
that again is my grandma's fault, Grandma Doris. And it taught me how to solve problems and use technology to work for people. And solving problems for people is really what the city clerk should be doing in terms of solving problems that stand between people and their political power. I went from the University of Michigan to Microsoft, where I was a software engineer for four years. Again, learning how to solve complex problems and fix complex systems. But I also, when I was out there, I began working with President Obama's first election campaign. I was a social media manager in Washington State and actually helped stand up the text message recruitment program to recruit volunteers to work for the president. So using new technology, this was in 2008, to pull people into the political process. I actually organized more volunteers through that mechanism in the last month of the 2008 election than anyone in the country. So doing that actually inspired me to go actually work in activism. I, I left Microsoft to go be a community organizer. I cl got classically trained on how to do that, working all across the country, solving and protecting and defending voting rights, and also reducing gun violence and doing all sorts of economic justice campaigns. I defended voting rights for 300,000 people in the state of Florida in 2012, actually, when they were trying to be suppressed. All of that experience prepared me to do what I've always dreamed of doing, and that's coming home to work for the city of Detroit. I did that in 2014 when I brought my family home, my wife and my 10-month-old twins at the time, and I began working for the city using everything I'd learned as a problem solver and a technologist, as well as as a community advocate to solve problems and fix broken systems. We need that in the city clerk's office, and that's what I've been doing. I fixed the way the city manages and maintains fire hydrants. I wrote the city's policy on transparency and open data and information sharing. And we need all those things to happen in the city clerk's office because we need a problem solver that can fix fix the city's broken systems and make sure their political people, political excuse me, that voters in Detroit have their political power back. So we had a caller, Lee, I want to ask her question because I think it was a good one. She wanted to know how far back your institutional knowledge with the city goes. You mentioned moving back here in 2014. It's only a few years between now, 2017, these elections. Yeah. So, yeah, I started working for the city in August of 2014, and I had to do a lot of digging on institutional knowledge. When I wrote the city's policy on open data and then implemented that program, I had to dig deeply into city systems and how information is managed and shared in city government in Detroit. So I got a chance to deep dive with people who had 10, 20, 30, 40 years of experience with the city of Detroit, understanding how we do record keeping and how we can manage those systems to make those records easier for Detroiters to access. So while I was working with the city, you know, as a number two in the technology department for three years, I spent a lot of time with people who were very experienced in learning from them. Okay. I want to go back to the phones. Lee is back on the line. Lee, thanks for joining Detroit today. Hi, how you doing? Good. Um, I've noticed on a lot of programs, uh, when we talk about city elections, we talk about low voter turnout. And, and apathy and whatnot. But I've been following elections since 05. We have a broken system in Detroit. From the Freeman Hendricks, Common Kilpatrick, of vote tally flipping when the lights went out, to ballot stuffing um, that, that went on with Duggan and the signature uh, sign-in ballots, to, uh, to, to uh, um, the tags not matching up on the voting boxes when they get down to, to KMAC. You know, there's there's a lot of so 105 percent of people voting. Um, that was um, uh, 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 Fox News had done that. You know, so there, there's you know, and I think it's broken on purpose to get a result that people that certain people want. You know, when, when the board of canvassers uh, won't cut, uh, when the election commission comes in and doesn't do a thorough investigation uh, uh, when these are brought up by citizens. And then in the last election, you have 68% of Detroit ballots not being able to be recounted because the numbers don't match. So, so it's people, it's not that we don't want to vote, it's that we know the system is broken. So why participate in a broken, broken system and then give people cover to legitimize the results that don't work out for the people who live in Detroit? 
Lee, thank you for that call. I think Garland might have sprained his neck nodding along with some of your comments. So I'm going to let him answer that. I mean, Lee, I appreciate that because I think what you're what you're articulating and a lot of people feel is that they don't trust the voting process. They don't trust the political participation process because they've been abused by it for so many years. And so it's time to restore integrity of that process. One way I think you restore integrity is by enabling transparency. People don't know what happens to their ballots when they cast them. You know, about a little more than a third of Detroit voters who vote in municipal elections at least, vote by absentee ballot. Those people, those are mostly senior citizens. When they put their ballot in the mail, they have no idea where it goes. They don't know if the city receives it back. They don't know where the city puts it. They don't know when the city counts it. So we need to actually make sure people know what's happening with their ballots, who handles it, how do they handle it, where does it get transported, how does it get counted, how does it get stored, how does it get secured. These are things that we need to make transparent. And what I'm running on is a platform of transparency and accountability. And so I think if we have a more transparent process, that can be a more trustworthy process that people would be more willing to participate in. You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET 101.9 FM. I'm Sandra Sabota hosting the program today. And with us in studio is Garland Gilchrist II. He is a candidate for city clerk in the city of Detroit. He finished second in the primary to the incumbent Janice Winfrey. And we have invited her to be on this program as well. We're taking your calls and we've had a couple comments so far uh, related to the election process. So if you've had problems voting in the city, you have questions about the process, you want to weigh in, ask the candidate a question, give us a call, 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. Garland, I want to say the listeners are doing my job for me today because we have another question from a caller. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Yeah, good morning. How are you? Good. The uh, question is, and it's been a bee in my bonnet to use that adage for a long time, when you consider the number of, you know, the population of the city of Detroit and the number of people that they have on record as registered voters, the numbers defy logic. What will you, Mr. Gilchrist, what will you do to bring those numbers to become more, lack of a better way to say it, truer. Because, you know, it's crazy that, you know, people go out here and vote, and what do we hear? We hear like 10, 15% of the people who were registered came out to vote. And I don't, I really don't believe that there are that many, I'm saying, active voters in the city of Detroit. Uh, You know, when you consider how many people we've lost over the years and to where we are now. So what are you going to do to, as I would tell people, to clean the deadwood out in terms of the uh, people who are um, on, you know, on, the, on, the, on the voting record? So I appreciate that question. And it is important to make sure that our voter rolls are accurate. So we need to do full record keeping and accounting for that. I mean, I've managed data and information systems for the city of Detroit, and that's exactly the kind of expertise I want to bring to the city clerk's office. One of the big things that I heard about on the campaign trail is individuals came up to me almost on a weekly basis, if not more often than that, to tell me that their deceased spouses or children were still getting applications to request absentee ballots decades after they passed away. I saw one individual who lived in District 2 a number of times who had that problem where his wife had been dead for 12 years and she still got absentee ballots. She was still considered a registered voter. We can pretty straight, and there's a pretty straightforward way to fix problems like that. So for example, when a person passes away and there's a death certificate issued by the county clerk, we actually can connect that information system to the city's voter voters records to make sure that that person is then taken off the rolls. I mean, just doing that would actually solve a pretty significant fraction of that problem. We also need to be more vigilant about making sure that we're following up with people who have registered to vote. You know, one of the ways we get more people to vote on election day is by making sure that they are better informed before election day and that they are participating in the political and decision-making processes before election 
election day. So if we're actively engaging registered voters and residents of the city of Detroit in the political process before election day, they also can make sure that their registration status is accurate, that everyone in their household registration status is accurate, and we can help to work with the community to clean up that system and those records. All right, Tom, thank you for that call. Um, Garland, that answer. I just wanted to follow up a little bit more. Can you be a little more specific on how you clean up the voter rolls? What kind of collaboration? Is it different levels of government? Why isn't that being done now to keep those records straight? Well, I think it certainly requires collaboration with sort of city systems as well as other types of other branches of government. So working with the county clerk, for example, that does a lot of record keeping functions and making sure that those functions, that we have good systems to trigger changes in the county system that should trigger changes in the city system. Also working with the State Bureau of Elections to make sure we're doing the same thing and making sure that things are accurate. You know, I can't answer the question definitively why that's not happening. You know, maybe it's not happening because it's not a priority. Maybe it's not happening because it just hasn't been thought about. But that's something that I want to be actively engaged on and making sure those systems work and are well connected um, when I'm the next city clerk. All right. So we have Chris, who is on the road in Detroit, who wants to talk to you as well, Garland. Good morning, Garland. Good Um, morning. Just had a quick question about folks like me. I've worked in the city of Detroit now for roughly 15 years. I've paid taxes in the city of Detroit for all of those years because I work down here, yet I don't have the right to vote because I don't live in the city of Detroit. So what are your thoughts on perhaps maybe making some changes there to allow folks that are paying taxes to actually have a voice in how those tax dollars are spent. So what you're talking about is residency requirements and how they're connected to voting rights. I think that's a pretty important fundamental thing. You know, if you wanted to advocate for that, you'd have to do that at the state level. But that's not something I'm interested in. I want to make sure that Detroit voters are represented, um, Detroit residents are represented as Detroit voters. And so I'm excited to make sure that every resident who's eligible and of age to vote in Detroit has the the access they need to get registered and to be able to be informed enough to participate in the political process. And that's really um, sort sort of my priority. I certainly think that there are many sorts of civic participation processes that people who work, live, and play in Detroit can play a role in um, from a policy perspective. But when it comes to voting, you know, we've made the choice in the state of Michigan and in the United States that that is based on where you live, not where you work. And I think that's a good choice. Okay, we have another caller on the line, Thea, uh, in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. I was calling because last year I sent in my absentee vote and uh, at the 1st of October, and it wasn't received until the end of October because the absentee votes go to Pontiac first. What will you do to make sure that the late absentee voters, unlike myself, those who are later, are also counted? Garland? So we need to restore transparency to how absentee ballots are counted. It's exactly what I was talking about earlier, whereas like when you sent your ballot back in, you know, you didn't know what happened to it. You probably had to call and, they, and you got an answer that you, they didn't make sense to you, didn't understand. So I actually want to bring transparency to that process because, frankly, I don't know what happens to absentee ballots when they get mailed in either. I mean, I was asking that question on the campaign trail, both of people who work for the Department of Elections as well as absentee voters who have voted that way for decades, and they didn't know the answer to the question. That's a problem. And so what I want to ensure is that when a ballot is mailed back, I want to do things like send people confirmation receipts so we know they know that the Department of Elections received them. I want to make sure that they know where their ballot's going to be stored, when it's going to be counted. Like, I think that we should be counting ballots as we receive them, not putting them somewhere, risking them being insecure or, or tampered with before before they get counted um, at some point where we don't even know when they get counted. I think we need to be clear and transparent about how that works. And so for me, the way that I would solve that is by making sure that we know you know exactly what's happening in your ballot um, when you mail it in. Well, let me follow that one up. How, If you're counting the ballots as they're coming in, how would you guard against the security and secrecy of that? You don't really want it leaking out of where people stand, do you? 
No, I mean, I don't want it leaking out. Absolutely not. What I want, though, is us to make sure we have an efficient way to communicate our election results. And so while we're not communicating the results of those absentee ballots beforehand, we absolutely can count them. There's no reason to have them absentee ballots sit in a box somewhere for six weeks before we actually start to deal with them. I think we should deal with them on hand. That's, the, that's, a, that's a process problem. That's a process inefficiency that we need to eliminate. You're listening to Detroit Today on WDET 1019 FM or WDET.org online. I'm Sandra Sobota, your host today, and with me in studio is Garland Gilchrist II. He is a candidate for city clerk. He finished second in the primary to the incumbent Janice Winfrey. So he will be on the ballot in November. So this is his first time in the studio, I believe, as a candidate for city clerk. Um, at the beginning of the show, uh, he talked a little bit about the duties of the city clerk. And we've been talking a lot about the elections process, had some great callers, and we are the phone lines are still open. Open. If you want to join this conversation, ask a question about the voting process, what the clerk does. Um, I, we've been hearing some problems people had in, in their voting. So if that is you and you'd like to talk to the candidate, the number is 313-577-1019. But Garland, for, for the moment, I want to go back to the beginning of what you said about the job of the clerk. Obviously, the voting process was one, and that really resonated with our callers. But you also mentioned being the public record keeper for the city and the and the record keeper, the clerk for city council. That kind of sounds like the job of the media. Does it overlap in getting information about the function of government to voters and residents? Well, I think certainly a, a well-informed well-informed residents in Detroit, that should be a priority for all of us. And thankfully, the city charter actually designed the city clerk's role to serve that function from a governmental perspective. I think in, a, in, the, in the best iteration of this job, which is the one I hope to implement, you know, the city, the, the, the media can use information from the city clerk to deep dive on what's happening in the, Detroit, in the city government, to, to be able to trust they can get, you know, accurate and timely transcripts about city council meetings, to, that we can put results of city council votes online, that we can put the results of, uh, or excuse me, the debate that's happening over city ordinances in a section by section way on the internet for for specific feedback on specific sections. I think that would be really exciting to have a, an information environment in the city of Detroit where media and residents can engage like that. And I think the city clerk should be enabling that because as city clerk, I want people to be informed. I think that more informed people are more powerful people. And I want the city of Detroit to be a, a city full of powerful people who are politically active. Okay, wait. So you just said you want to help journalists do their job in this city? Garland, what is that? Is that pandering to the, to the crowd here? <laughs> it's pandering to the people who want to be informed in Detroit. And when I when I've been traveling around the city, you know, since I started my campaign, people are hungry for information because they're hungry for accountability. And people who are more informed are more powerful and can get more accountability from their government. And so I'm excited to enable that as the next city clerk. All right. I want to go back to the phones. We have Lauren in Detroit joining the conversation on Detroit today. Lauren, welcome. Hi. Um, I've worked several elections and I believe one of your stances was to um, change the training that election officials receive. Can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. And thank you for stepping up to work elections a lot. There, there are a lot of people who step up to do that. And it's not an easy job. It's a really long day. Well, I want to make sure, first of all, that people um, but up through last year's election, you know, our, our workers were only getting one full module of training or access to one full module of training before Election Day. Now, y'all can't see me because I'm on the radio right now, but I'm 6'8". So the surprising thing about me is I used to be a basketball player. 
And one thing about basketball players is they have more practices than they do games. When I was a ball player, I had six practices for every two games. So rather than giving our poll workers one chance to get training before their game day, which is election day, we should make that training available year round. We should make it available in a way that is more flexible, make it available in a way that is able to accommodate different people's learning styles. Everyone doesn't learn the same. Some people are visual learners. Some people are auditory learners. Some people are kinesthetic learners. We also need to make it available to make people's different literacy levels. And we also finally need to make sure that people can do something that in, on election day that is matches up with their skills sets and experiences. So I think by making that training more flexible, more available, and more um, you know, customized for different people's uh, levels of ability and interest, I think we can make sure our poll workers are better trained and better prepared. I mean, on election day myself, my wife and I, when we went to vote in the morning, there was confusion about the ID requirements to vote in the city of Detroit in the state of Michigan. Like my wife left her driver's license in the car and we had a whole like 10 minute conversation with the four people who were working our poll about what needed to happen about that. There should be, if anything should be clear, it should be how you tell people what they need to vote in the city of Detroit. And that wasn't clear as recently as last week. So Garland, I want to follow up on a little bit of this. You've talked about a lot of work you would do if elected to the city clerk's office, and this takes money. Uh, what kind of budget does the city clerk's office have? Can you do? Can you put these programs in place and, and do these initiatives with the budget there is now, or how would you solicit for funds for the clerk's office? So it's a combination of things. One is, yes, we need to do a real deep dive and take a look at how the how money is being spent in city clerk's office and what it's being spent in the most intelligent way. But there are also resources that are available to the city clerk um, that you can, I have to submit, a, as city clerk, I need to submit a budget to the city council, just like the mayor does, for example. And I would want to submit an aggressive budget. And that I'm pretty confident that the city council wants to see a sound democracy in Detroit too. And I think they would, they would, be able to appropriate those funds. I would be an advocate for the city clerk's fair share of the funds of this, you know, $62 million surplus that apparently we have in the city of Detroit. I would want to fight to make sure the city clerk got its fair share of that so we can enable a better informed set of residents in the city of Detroit. I also know that there are a number of um, outside resources that are hungry to pay for better informed populations and better civic participation processes um, all around the country. We've had a lot of philanthropic activity in Detroit, and I certainly would be want to be aggressive about using those kind of dollars or going for those kind of dollars to enable this kind of participation as well. But there are low-cost things we can do. So, for example, one of the things I want to do is make voting more accessible and more convenient to people in Detroit. You know, research shows that if a person lives more than a mile away from their polling location, they're they're 10% less likely to cast a ballot. So I want to make sure the people are voting in the places closest to where they live. I've met people who live across the street from polling locations but vote two miles away. I vote almost two miles away from where I live. So so one thing I want to do is reassign people to the polling places closest to them. But then where we have those gaps, I want to put together a proposal that uses you know underutilized, city-owned uh you know, commercial real estate resources to be able to have pop-up polling locations on election day. That costs money, and I would put together a proposal for that that might be able to use some of our better allocated city clerk dollars, better uh, portions of that $62 million surplus, or third-party resources that I'm able to attract, but I'll be aggressive about that. All right. Before we go to David in Detroit on the phone, I want to remind you that you can join this conversation as well. We're talking with Garland Gilchrist II. He is a candidate for city clerk in the city of Detroit. He finished second in the primary, and that gets him on the November ballot. So if you have a question about the election process in Detroit or uh, questions about what the city clerk does or what Garland would do in that job, give us a call, 313-577-1019. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. I'm interested in the transparency of uh, public documents. Uh, and one public document could be the voter list for someone who might be interested in running for office. Or another document could be a 
uh, city council subcommittee hearing. How are those uh, documents available now or databases available now, and how would you uh, change that if, it, if you think it needs updating? Yeah, great question. So the, the voter list right now is available from the state. So you can actually, I think it's $23 uh, actually to be able to purchase a voter file from the state that'll give you things like um, a voter's birth year or it'll give you things like um, uh, a person's uh, party affiliation and things like that. It won't tell you exactly how a person voted, but you can get a list of voters um, from the state of Michigan, not from the city of Detroit. So that's how we, you would access that. And as far as uh, city council hearings, whether those are the committee on the whole or different uh, other committees on the city council, you know, I would work to aggressively make sure those hearing the minutes, transcripts and videos are available quickly and accurately online, on television and in formats that are that are easily readable by humans and machines. So, Garland, as we're looking forward to November, talk a little bit about how you're campaigning. What are you doing in the city and what are you hearing from people? Well, I'm excited. Uh, we, we, you know, we came through the primary in a way that was frankly unexpected to a lot of folks. Um, but I but I think our campaign was able to do that because we prioritized talking directly to Detroit voters. So we spent a lot of time recruiting more than 200 volunteers to knock on doors all across the city, to make phone calls to Detroit voters, to send text messages to Detroit voters, to get them engaged in the process. And we're going to continue to do that at an even bigger scale because, you know, probably twice as many people are going to vote in the general election who vote in the primary. So we've already begun that work and that planning to make sure that we're reaching out to as many Detroit voters as possible. You know, we're going up against an incumbent. So we have a large coalition to build in order to to win in November. And so I'm welcoming um, those who are who are ready and willing to support change in the city clerk's office. And I'm excited to to have that support as we move forward to build a bigger movement for change. But I think what we demonstrated in the primary is that people in Detroit are hungry for something different. You know, they 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 chose to vote for Garland Gilchrist to be the challenger to the current incumbent because I represent a different way to do politics um, in Detroit that we hadn't seen, you know, in a long time, if ever. All right, we have time for one more caller. Willard in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, ma'am. I was wondering what effect did the 60,000 votes have on uh, the Trump election since he won Michigan by about 1,000 votes and the current clerk's uh, husband is a Republican? Um, I don't know about that party affiliation, but I do know that the fact is that 60,000 votes were in question because 59 percent of the precincts in Detroit were not able to be recounted. You know, it does raise it does raise some questions about what the results in in, in Michigan were. Now, we don't know for we don't know for sure because, you know, that recount started and stopped in Detroit. So we didn't get a full accounting of those results. You know, what I think is important and I think what's really underneath this question is the fact that we need to restore trust and integrity to the voting and the ballot handling process in Detroit. I believe that trust and integrity comes from being more transparent and more clear about what happens and also making sure that people are well informed before Election Day when, as voters, that our people who are working our polls and working on our department of elections are well trained before Election Day so we can trust what's going to happen on Election Day. And so I really am because I think that once we restore that type of trust and integrity and transparency, then we can really have a system that people will want to participate in. And I think our participation rates will go up. 
So, Garland, I have one final question for you as we're rounding out your appearance on Detroit today. Today, yes. appreciate you being here and talking to, directly to the voters on our airwaves. Um, but I wanted to ask you about your fundraising. Um, mm-hmm. You raised $110,000 in your pre-primary statement uh, going into the election. I think that was uh, several times as much as the next challenger. And when I dug into it all nerdy on my spreadsheet, mm-hmm. uh, I noticed your average contribution from an individual is less than $40, right. and they're coming from 48 different states. Mm-hmm. How how are you managing to do that? And what does that say about how Detroit's doing uh, with, with elections and politics? Well, it says that people around the country, just like people in Detroit, understand the national significance of democracy working well in Detroit. I'm proud of that. And I'm proud of the fact that people have been willing to put up as little as $1.50 to participate in and, and help to fund my campaign. You know, I, I frankly, I learned from the best. I mean, I worked on both President Obama's campaigns. I was national campaign director for MoveOn.org, where we solicited small donations from all across the country for people who supported movements for better democracy and change. And so I'm bringing those same principles to this race because I think it's important. And I think that people across the country and people across the city of Detroit, people across the state of Michigan have made the choice to invest in my campaign because when they looked at who was the best prepared person to make democracy function better for Detroiters? They chose me, and I'm thankful for every single one of those more than 2,000 people who stepped up to donate to the campaign. All right, that's Garland Gilchrist II. He's a candidate for city clerk in Detroit. He's running against the incumbent, Janice Winfrey. We've invited her to be on the program. I want to thank Garland for being here. Thank you so much for having me. As well as all the callers. I hope you got your questions answered and enjoyed participating in this political conversation. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk about whether former state Senator Virgil Smith should be allowed on the ballot for city council in Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today.